you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Special guest from across the world, Dr. Ivan Rusin, uh, Ukraine Evangelical Theological Seminary, and my friend. How are you doing? Well, I always do not know how to answer this question during the war, but I am I am okay. Since last I, I saw you, I mean, we've we've gotten to video chat a few times between the last time you were on this podcast and now. Uh, and you know, there's, there's some things that are different about you. You've, you've been, uh, you were talking to us about impending Russian aggression and that Russia was going to, you weren't sure, you weren't sure if Russia was going to make a move or not. And, uh, now you sit in a very different spot. Can you just kind of maybe in a few minutes, catch us up since, you returned to Ukraine from the United States and, and all that has transpired. I know that's a big ask, but if you could, I think it would, it would just help a lot more people um, around the world understand the context and not forget what's happening and certainly not forget to pray for you. Yes, thank you for this question. Uh, Russia has been threatening Ukraine for the last eight years. And um, our international friends, including the United States, uh, informed our president that uh, there's a very high chances that we will have full-scale war. So uh, I returned uh, from the States to Ukraine just four or five days before uh, the war started. And as a seminary, we took some steps. We developed a crisis plan uh for our seminary in the case if war will start but nobody would believe that this will happen so you're sitting so there and you're morning you're you're sitting around making a plan for this thing that you're like no it's not really going to happen but we should have a plan anyways yeah okay. so we we um change our basements into shelters we purchase some food uh, power generators and uh, contacted some people in the West Ukraine if uh, we will need to evacuate. Well, because, you know, we are trained, we had some training and all, all of that, but mm -hmm. nobody would ever believe that we will have to implement this uh, plan. So then on uh, 22nd of uh, February, we had a very late meeting with some representative of our government. As you know, uh, I serve as a deputy to bishop of our denomination. So and in Ukraine, we have all Ukrainian church council. So and uh, one representative of our government uh, called us for a meeting which started at 11 p.m. So, and uh, we had this meeting in the Bible Society of Ukraine where he informed us that there are very high probability that war will start. But again, like, come on, this is not really like, you know, Ukraine, Russia. 
So, and then on 23rd of February, I was involved in different kinds of things. But I made the decision uh, that on 24th of February, we will uh, start like a holiday for students and we will send all our full-time students home Hmm. because we got so many signals. However, when I woke up uh, in the morning, it was, it was too late. Mm. So early in the morning uh, at 4 o'clock a.m., Russia attacked different locations in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning, it was panic. So many thousands of people, they wanted to leave Kiev. So I was able to get to the seminary. So we had a meeting with our uh, key team and we implemented our uh, crisis plan. We had a prayer, short prayer with our students and faculty, just, you know, realizing that, you know, war is here. And, um, you know, we expected that Russia may attack Ukraine, but only from its border. Mm-hmm. But nobody, including our president, could not believe that Belarus will allow Russian soldiers to use their territory. So when we are trying, to, when we were developing our uh, uh, crisis plan, we knew for sure that the seminary is in a safe location. So but why, why is it Russian that, troops? Came, why is it that you didn't believe that he would do? He would attack from within. Do you believe that Canada can attack United States tomorrow? <laughs> no, I don't believe that. So this is the same. Yeah. So this is the same. Like, come on. Like, okay, Russians, okay, but Belarusians, no, no way. This is impossible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but Russian soldiers, they were, during the first day, they were eight miles from the seminary. So we heard explosions. We, we from our campus, we saw Russian uh, Ukrainian tanks going to protect uh, uh, cities like Bucha, where I live. So during the first day, I was able to come to the seminary. Hmm. So uh, at night, I went home. But next morning, the bridge which unites Bucha, my city, and Kiev was destroyed. So I was not able to come back to the seminary. And for the five or six days, I was locked in my city in Bucha, in my former fitness uh, center where I used to do fitness. It is in our basement of our block of flats. And for the six days, it was my shelter. And I was navigating the seminary and evacuation of the seminary from that uh, shelter. It was, it was crazy. You know, you are, your people are in the seminary. You are eight miles away. And you know you can do nothing. So it was uh, it was stress. Hmm. And the first days of the war, you see Russian uh, jets, uh, um, Russian helicopters, drones. So um, it was um, it was crazy. So this is how everything started. Wow. And so when it started, and you guys had evacuated. The men from the seminary stayed. And what did you see? What were the opportunities the Lord gave you as you stayed there and endured those first couple of days, weeks? And and what has that turned into now? What is 
What does it mean to be a follower of Christ in the midst of that circumstance? Well, uh, it was a big challenge for us to find a way how to evacuate people. Mm. Because Russian soldiers, the main road which goes to the West Ukraine was already partially controlled by Russians. Mm. So um, it was very hard to find a way how to evacuate. And God made a miracle. Because some of my friends, when they were not able to find a bus to evacuate us, to evacuate our students, nobody wanted even to hear about evacuations from like, come on, are you serious? It's, it's dangerous. So my, basically speaking, my brother-in-law and my older brother, they purchased a bus, old bus. Mm. So they came to Kiev driving that old bus and they evacuated our students and faculty. And after that, they started to evacuate other people. So for me, it was uh, critical to, to stay in, in Kiev. And I, um, I remain in Kiev all of this uh, three months of the, mm -hmm. of, of the war. And uh, immediately everything stopped. Grocery stores, you know, everything stopped. And people were in a huge, huge need. So from the, almost from the first days of the war, we started, we launched a relief ministry. So before our, our campus was shelled by the Russian Federation, we used our cafeteria where we cooked meal and baked bread, and we delivered it to bomb shelters. Mm. But at one point of time, Ukrainian army, our army, they warned us that it is not safe to remain on our campus. So we decided that we will evacuate those, that small cohort of faculty and staff that were involved in a relief ministry. So we evacuated to the Ukrainian Bible Society. And two days, two days after we evacuated everybody, six Russian missiles attacked our campus. Wow. So if we would not evacuate people, then people would, uh, would be wounded or even killed. So yes, our campus got six missiles. Wow. Never in my life I would imagine that the campus of the UETS would, uh, would be attacked by, by mm -hmm. missiles. And now we, as we started this uh, recovery process. So with a small cohort of UETS faculty and students and uh, Ukrainian Bible Society, we started our relief ministry. So we would receive uh, provisions from the West Ukraine, and then we would deliver it to different locations in Kiev, visiting uh, shelters, people that are left behind, uh, primarily elderly and disabled people. Mm. And it was it was very moving uh, picture when, you know, you are giving a piece of bread to old lady. This is Kiev, capital city of your country, and you have 2022 outside. Mm -hmm. And old small lady is asking how much this will cost. And you say it's for free. <laughs> then she asks, why do you do so? And well, <laughs> we are, we are Christians. We are, we are the church and we, you know, we want to help people. And she starts to cry. Mm. And you hear explosions, you smell, you know, you know, fire and everything. And it, it was our reality. So, uh, and this is what we have, have been doing almost all, all of the days. And, uh, as I mentioned e e elsewhere, 
as a missiologist, I, I thought I had a big or wide understanding of uh, what does it mean holistic ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. But this war extended my understanding. So first of all, I realized that this war made every Ukrainian my neighbor. Mm. So when I see another Ukrainian who is in need, I consider him as my neighbor that I can help. Mm-hmm. And the uh, holistic ministry now has a very broad understanding for me because the most extreme thing that we have been doing, we delivered dead bodies from a morgue to the cemetery in our seminary bus. So one day, um, a person that we, we, you know, we have been visiting the city of Hostomel sharing provision. And there was a guy, his name was uh, Alexander. And he called me and he said, you know, can you help me? I said, well, how can we help you? And he shared that his parents were killed by Russian missile. So now... He has to find a way how to deliver the bodies from a morgue. Mm. And it was at that time when everything was closed. There was no transportation. So and because we have been involved in, in this uh, ministry, uh, we get connections and relationships with our army. So they recognize us and they would uh, get a, uh, provide us opportunity to go to, to different locations. So we, with my co-pastor, we went to a... Um, morgue and we took bodies put in our seminary bus and delivered to the cemetery so i have never been trained Mm -hmm. to do these things uh you know but this is what holistic ministry is about yeah i mean so what you're describing is a an understanding that to be a follower of christ is to be somebody who loves and you need to love people uh, in ways that they most desperately need to experience love and compassion. Um, you know, I think of all the times in the scriptures when it describes Jesus as seeing a group of people, he has compassion, and then he does something about it. It's not just a, a, a mere sentiment. It's not something just to feel bad for somebody, but you're experiencing something that it's still really hard for me to imagine. Um but I am so grateful for your witness. I'm so grateful for your example and your leadership uh, and super grateful that you would take the time to jump on a podcast with me today and share some time. So Yvonne, thank you so much. Um, for anybody out there who's listening or watching this podcast, uh, you know, continue to pray. Uh, continue to be aware that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine uh, that continue to need prayer support, uh, that uh, need physical support, financial support, uh, provisions of any kind that we can get to them. And so, uh, Yvonne, is there anything in particular that you would want people to know about the situation or ways that they can support you? Yes, there are several things that I would like to articulate. First of all, um, what what I want to say that this war is absolutely unprovoked war. Mm-hmm. And um, we are, as a country, we are fighting a giant. You can compare the Russian Federation and Ukraine. 
Unfortunately, there is no space for the Ukrainian identity in the Russian world. So if the Russian Federation will take over, there will be no space for, for, for our values, our dreams. There will be no Ukraine as, as, as such. This war created extreme suffering. Mm -hmm. Six millions of Ukrainians left Ukraine. 14 millions had to, this, to leave uh, own apartments and houses. It's a huge, a huge challenge for, uh, for thousands and millions of Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us as a church, it is a, it's a very responsible and unique moment when we, we can serve our nation as, as never before. So what we are doing at this moment, we are providing provision. For example, in our seminary, we are sharing 1,000 hot meals every week. Wow. Some people are coming to our cafeteria, which has no windows because it is you know, destroyed by, by a missile. And then also our faculty and staff, they would deliver boxes with hot meal to, to remote villages in Kiev's area. Also, we are delivering uh, provision, food, medicine, water, power generators to different locations, not just in Kiev area, but in, in such to such cities as Slavyansk, Bakhmut, and other on the east part of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And third, of course, we are providing uh, pastoral care and spiritual support. So, uh, as I mentioned, we have partnership with the Ukrainian Bible Society and with our team, we distributed over 50,000 of Bibles, New Testaments or other Christian literature during this three months. By the way, for more than a month, I lived in the Bible Society, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I, 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 I was sleeping on a sleeping bag in one of the offices. Wow. So now I am very proud. I am saying that I am so biblical that I live in the Bible society, <laughs> in the Bible house. So, and, um, uh, so if somebody wants to uh, join this ministry, relief ministry, there is a huge, a huge need. And another thing that we are doing, we are heavily wounded as a country. During the first uh, month of the war, when my friends from different countries, they would say, you know, you, are, you have this post-traumatic syndrome. I would say, no, 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 I am okay. Now I recognize, yes, I am, I have this syndrome. Mm -hmm. I have this, this wounds, but you know, sometimes we as Christians, we are very fast and quick to provide very easy answers to very difficult questions. Mm -hmm. So for example, we started a program on trauma healing, where we try to equip our brothers and sisters that they will know how to serve people that suffered a lot, mm -hmm. only then, you know, we can be instruments of healing. And also what I, what I realized, somebody may, somebody may think that people are looking for answers in this war, but people are not looking for answers. People are looking for presence and compassion. Mm -hmm. So when, 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of times when we are getting with our buses to a location, to the hostomel or city of Bucha, then people start to, to appear, to show up. So they try to check who are you, okay, they see that you, you have a collar, you are the priest, you know, you have some food. And then they start to share these stories. And we heard very tough stories mm -hmm. that there, there is a lady, her husband was killed and she buried him in a backyard. 2022 outside. Can you imagine that you buried your husband or wife just close to your, your house, to your building? Mm. And then she start to cry and she start to hug our student. Mm. So I realized that there is something about theology of presence when we are with our people. So if some people are asking me, like, you know, you are a theologian, you have PhD, what you know, give us some answers. My answer is that, that I have no answers, mm -hmm. but I know what they went through because I have the same scarves that they do. So those churches that remained in Kiev and other cities, they remained with people, they have the same scars on their body and people see this solidarity and compassion. And at this point, it's enough. Mm -hmm. So it is crucially important for Christians to stay with the suffering community. Mm -hmm. So um, it is it is very important as we see that we as the Christians, we will remain with our people and we will serve them as we can. So I do invite everybody to join us, join us in our relief ministry, Join us in training uh, people for ministry. And also, if you have resources to provide food, medicine, water, or, or uh, diesel for generators, it is, it is great. And um, I experienced the grace of God so many times. For example, we are delivering food for the city of Borodyanka, destroyed by Russians. We had three addresses where the need is the most. We found two addresses and the third one we just cannot find. Mm. We are using all kinds of navigation, nothing. And I was so upset that, you know, we have medicine, we have food, but we cannot find that location. So we see a lady approaching us and we stop and we say, you know, we are looking for this address. And she says, oh, this is my address. <laughs> we are looking for this lady. Well, it's me. I just realized Holy Spirit was was involved. Yeah. And then I may show you chat some photos. City of Hostomel, we are delivering uh, food, people we have never met before. And one lady, she came and she said that, you know, I have a son and she and he had some operation on, on his eyes just before the war. So we ordered some special lenses for his eyes, but because of war, we cannot get it. And he suffers a lot. Mm. So, and then miracle happens. You ask your friends, your friends ask their friends. And as a result, somebody in Germany was able to find that special lenses delivered to the network of friends to Ukraine. And one day 
we delivered those lenses to that lady and, and uh, her son. I have a photo when my friend Fyodor is giving that lenses to that lady. And she asked, is this for a week? No, it's for six months. Oh, wow. And she, she started to cry. Yeah. And the reflection that we got, when this young gentleman will put his lenses into his eyes and he will see better what kind of things he will see. Mm. So um, this is, this is how, how God is working. And um, we heard so many stories. So if, and so many people, they call us like people of light. Mm. Yes. Because you guys bring light, you bring life, you bring the gospel, you bring the love of Christ in very unique ways in a time like now. Uh, what would you want? How would you want people to connect with you or reach out to you if they do want to get involved? They do want to support you. Should they just email you? Um, yeah. Okay. It will be the, the, the easiest way. Okay. Well, what I want to tell uh, more that the humanitarian crisis is just started. Mm. You know what? What difference we see now and three months ago? Three months ago, people would show up. I'm sorry, very dirty because they would cook on an open fire, mm -hmm. no electricity, no water. Now, when we are visiting the same uh, location with food, people are coming, they are clean because they have electricity and water, but still they have no food. Mm. Just a short story. One person, you know, called me because we have been visiting his community for almost three months. And he said, Ivan, you haven't visited us almost for two weeks. And I said, you know, Vitaly, uh, now grocery stores are open. So we are sending provision to the east of Ukraine. And he, in a very diplomatic way, he said, yes, some grocery stores are open, but we have no jobs. Mm -hmm. Basically speaking, we have no money to purchase the food. So, and we uh, started again to, to visit his location and to deliver provision. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, are there any, is anybody working for money there or is it still just complete chaos? Uh, it depends on the, on the city to city. Okay. So now Kiev is coming back to normal life, okay. but prices went very high. Yeah. It's very hard to find uh, a fuel. So we have a system, how fuel is delivered from the West Ukraine to Kiev. So we have enough fuel to deliver provision to mm -hmm. other, other locations, okay. but in some smaller, you know, the, there are so many smaller like villages, they are not destroyed but they were under occupation mm. so and people are without any provision so and then we are in collaboration with the local government you know we are visiting such places and we deliver uh, deliver food mm -hmm. uh, medicine so and uh, the, the 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 need is huge yeah. Well, uh, in a in a moment of levity, one of the things that this uh, this Russian aggression has produced is is the fact that you're growing a beard, and I think that that is just a beautiful thing. So, if it took all of this, you know, here you are, and um, you're looking great, my friend. Um, 
I'm going to lean into the fact Thank that you. you lived in the Bible society for a little while and just, and just assume that that makes you a little bit more uh, in tune with what the Bible says because of that uh, camp out. And so we're going to, we're going to take and read uh, a passage of scripture, if you would, because uh, that's what we do here. We take and read the Bible and we process it as believers. And so uh, the time that I get to have you is precious and I'm grateful for it. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 9. So when you were with me last time, we were still in the Gospel of Mark. We are slowly progressing through the Gospel of Mark and have uh, only made it just over halfway. We're going to be in verse 33, and we're going to read that uh, short uh, kind of pericope where it goes 33 through 37. Uh if for those who are out there listening or following along, I am in the English Standard Version of the, the passage today. And Yvonne, what translation are you in? The Ukraine? Well, I opened the New International Version, but I, I think I can uh, open English. You said English Standard yeah, ESV, Version, yes? Yeah. Okay. All right. So just as by way of reminder, I try to um, pretty frequently just remind people, um, you know, the goal is that that we would come together, we would read a passage and we would wrestle with it. We want to understand what it says. We want to understand what it means. And then we want to understand why it's significant for us today. And uh, as we look at Mark, we understand it to be the collected teaching and um, recorded teaching of the Apostle Peter by John Mark. Uh, we understand it to be the earliest account of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, who uh, is, is understood to be Jesus the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God. And so this has been a confession that was made by Peter eventually in Mark chapter 8, where when asked, who do, what do people say about me? Who do people say that I am? And he says, you know, some are some are saying Elijah, some are saying John the Baptist, and he says, who do you say that I am? And that's when he responds, you are the Christ. And so th then we kind of, um, we're in the aftermath of that, and we get to look in on this conversation that's happening with Jesus and his disciples. So here we are, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And they, the, the, the disciples uh, and Jesus, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me okay so we just want to understand the scene who's present what's going on what do we understand about the context of of what we see here any thoughts Yvonne well um I think that it is important here to 
remember the context of this uh, situation and the context of uh, and the structure of the Marx gospel. Yeah. Uh, some uh, people says that um, the cross of Jesus is like an epicenter of uh, the entire gospel. Mm -hmm. And everything that goes be before is like an introduction to the epic moment, like the most important moment. And as far as I remember, uh, I, I didn't know what kind of text we will read. And I know that this is your approach and I don't like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer did some research and look like, you know, great scholar right, of Mark. Right. But uh, as far as I remember, Jesus is starting his road, uh, his travel to the Jerusalem yeah. from the, I cannot say it in English, this location. And chapter eight, yes. and three times during this travel, he expressed that he is going to uh, suffer. Mm -hmm. And uh, disciples, they were not capable to comprehend this. And it's interesting that uh, these three prophecies about uh, Jesus's death, uh, they are between two healing stories. Mm -hmm. Before, I think it is the story where a blind person started to see better, but it was like a progress. Yeah, it was a progressive healing. And as if I am, yeah, progressive healing. And if I am uh, remember well, the second story, it's about Bar Bartemus, Bartemus that was healed. I don't know how to say his name in English. So uh, what I want to underline in, in this, that our understanding who Jesus is, is also a process. Mm -hmm. We are progressing in this uh, understanding. Yeah. And uh, we are blind to it. We cannot get it by our own strength, mm -hmm. our own mind. Only when Jesus touches us, we can see him clear and, and better, yeah. and then we can comprehend what he is calling us to do. Yeah. So I see uh, this event in such a context. Because as they're, clearly they were, as they were traveling, they were having a lively discussion to the point that he, he says, what were you talking about? What was all that about? And they're, they're a little bit nervous. Uh, they don't want to, you know, they, they didn't want I, maybe him to know but uh, yeah, this is after the second time he has predicted his death and resurrection. Um, and so it's still, there's going to be one more of those that, that occurs after this, but that's happened twice now. This is also after the fact that um, he is transfigured. So Peter, James, and John have witnessed his transfiguration on the mountaintop. Uh, and he charged them to strictly tell nobody until after his resurrection until the right time. And so that's already occurred. And so there's, there's clarity is, is, is growing, but like you said, it's progressive. And we see that with the disciples themselves, their, their ability to understand. And then in understanding their ability to trust and believe what he's capable of. And I think there's also, and we've talked about this on a couple of other episodes, there is this, this reframing 
for the disciples what the Messiah means. Like they had grown with this understanding and expectation of what a Messiah would come and do. That a Messiah would come and as a son of David would be a great military leader, would be a great political leader, would overthrow possibly the Roman government, would restore the temple and Judaism to its former glory. And so as he continues to predict his death and resurrection, that he's going to be rejected by the religious leaders, he's, they're, they're going, no, 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 no. Because you're the Messiah, we're on the winning team. And, and what he's predicting doesn't sound like winning to them. And so there's this upside down ethic that is coming with the understanding of the Messiah, that life in his kingdom is going to look dramatically upside down compared to the way that everything else works in humanity. And so I think we see that on display here when they're arguing about who's the greatest. This Even this definition of great versus least is, is going to be flipped on its head. Thoughts? And if um, you need to stroke your beard and that produces... Like any kind of insight, like please, by all means. Uh, <laughs> the Mark's gospel, as well as every other book, is very provocative if we read it carefully. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this gospel um, takes away my comfort from mm-hmm. me. I can say that. I will explain what I what I mean. Sometimes the biggest problem we have in our relationship with God is our image of God that we developed. And disciples they are fighting with the with their image what Messiah must do. And it's interesting that even three prophecies of Jesus were not successful in changing their right, mind. Right. They still have their own agenda for Jesus. They are not asking, okay, how can we join your agenda? No, we are following you until you are fitting our mm-hmm. image. And in chapter 14, there is an important moment when Judah decided to betray Jesus. Mm-hmm. And very often we read this, his decision separately from the action of unnamed, unnamed woman. So she decided to serve Jesus. She put oil and she assists in Jesus' mission. And when Jesus uh, supported her action, it seems that Judah recognized, whoa, there is no plan B for Jesus. Yeah. He is going to, de- to die indeed. And he make a plan B for himself. Mm-hmm. So Judah was following Jesus until Jesus was going in the same direction Judah wanted him to follow, mm-hmm. to the Jerusalem. So very often we might be disappointed by God when he does not fit our expectation. Yeah, that's a good point. So, and we have to, we have to ask ourselves, in my, ex- in my image of Jesus, This image that I have of Jesus, I developed by myself Mm -hmm. or I embraced it from the word of God. So, and according to like, I like uh, how you mentioned like winning theme. 
Serving team? No, no, it's not for yeah. us. We want to be a winning team. So, and Jesus, he makes everything, like, put everything upside down. You are a winner when you are a yeah. loser. So when you lose everything from the human point of view, you win everything. So, and sometimes we really have to fight with our understanding of Jesus. And another warning that I have, it's, you know, I can prove from the text that this unnamed woman was following Jesus together with disciples. Mm -hmm. So somehow she believed Jesus. And she used that moment, like last Wednesday, this is the last chance for me to serve Jesus. So I will bring that perfume. Right. Disciples, they, you know, privilege, they are like the core team of Jesus, looking great, important, but they failed to grasp what he is speaking mm -hmm. about. So I asked myself, you know, Ivan, you are involved in ministry for many years. Do you, do you understand what Jesus is about, what his calling in your life yeah. is about? Because we can be in a very close proximity to God, but still have no clue what his uh, intention is, is about. So when I read this story, I feel uncomfortable because if I am a disciple of Jesus, you know, I am vulnerable to the same mistakes his disciples yeah. made. And sometimes I might be as a hostage of my own perceptions, what Jesus should, uh, should do. So, uh, this, this text, um, you know, challenge mm -hmm. me. How do I understand leadership? Yeah. There's a, and, uh, it's, it's a hard question. Yeah. There's, I can't remember who I heard this from, but I heard one theologian describe just the human hearts tendency to um to form idols or create idols and it goes back to the reality that in genesis we read in the in first and second chapter that god created us in his image and then at genesis 3 in the fall when adam and eve take from the tree and and you know commit that rebellion from that point on we begin to make gods in our image rather than realizing we are made in the image of God. And so our hearts are these idol factories and we just continue to make gods that, you know, that we want or, or shape idols in, in the fashion that we want to have them. And I think that there is still that tendency in the human heart, even, even as we follow the Lord to somehow just kind of take the aspects of Jesus or the, the things that we like about the gospel and really highlight those and emphasize those. But then there are going to be times in which what it means to follow Christ and how he, he reshapes our identity and he, he throws upside down the ethics and the priorities that maybe we had once are now no longer priorities, but they may still be the priority of the world around us and the other humans around us. And so we live in this really kind of this place of tension where the world has these standards of good and right and true, what it means to be successful, what it means to be strong. And we get sucked into that. And so I can, I can relate to what the disciples are wrestling with here because here they are thinking we're on the, we're on the team of the Messiah. 
And so which one of us on this team is kind of the team captain? Which one's the the top dog here? And they're they're jockeying for position. They're wrestling for status within even Jesus's team. And he has to kind of talk to them about you you guys you guys don't get it. Here's the deal. And then he brings a child in. Why a child? Why does he bring a child in? Because the child is most vulnerable mm. and insignificant. Yeah. I think that this this text and especially Mark's gospel teaches a lot about suffering. And I have been thinking a lot about suffering during this city day, city uh, three months of the war. It's interesting and very moving for my heart that Jesus he does not cancel suffering. Mm. Jesus came to suffer with us. It's it's amazing. And this is what attracts me in, in, in Jesus. So he came to suffer with, with for the humanity and with the humanity. So uh, and the leadership and Christian life very often includes suffering. Mm-hmm. And um, in suffering, Christ shines in the brightest in the brightest way. And again, this text I think change our scale of priorities because it would be very natural if he would put a, a businessman mm-hmm. or a rabbi. If you serve this rabbi, you are serving me. But Jesus. And God, he chose to identify himself with the most, the least significant. And this is, this is his wisdom. Yeah. So I think then when we serve the more, the least significant people, I think this is the, the, we serve the Lord. And especially it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you serve people and you know for sure that they will not repay you. Yeah. Probably you, you will never meet them again. (laughs) And the thing that you will not get anything from them. I love to serve in such a way. So because when we want to serve yeah, because uh, th- we do have a tendency to serve, but it's really emotionally and mentally a transaction. If I do this, then I'll get this. And what he's putting on display here is for the followers of Christ, you give with no expectation of anything in return. And it's not a transaction. It's not I give and so then I get. And he exemplifies that. And he's about to perfectly exemplify that, that he is going to give everything. And he's he's not going to get, you know, paid back in a in a temporary or immediate sense for the amount of sacrifice that he gives. He gives freely, but he gives everything. Man, I mean, that's just yeah. That's and we're not wired that way. That's not how we function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so we've got this passage here. How do you think, you know, what's going to be the greatest challenge for the disciples as this is landing to them in this moment, or even the recipients of Mark's gospel in the first century, and they're reading this account and this teaching of Jesus, where does this challenge them the most? I think this uh, absolutely reshaped the worldview, the understanding of status, and what is truly important for God. Mm. Because, you know, to be a representative of Messiah means, from a human point of view, to have a high position, to sit down on the left or, or right side. But Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, everything is different. Mm -hmm. You can see me when the least significant person has been served, is happy. So when the child has everything the child needs, then I am present there. So sometimes we want to look to the center, how can we serve the most significant people? But Jesus teach us to look backwards mm -hmm. to the, like, you know, uh, I, I just cannot find this English, English word, but to, to the um, it's an borders of our yeah, community. The edges. Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. we want to serve in a way that, and, that maybe uh, is going to have the most impact in our estimation. What's going to have the greatest impact? What's going to, accomplish the most in our estimation and so in this in this situation had he taken a religious leader a political leader a wealthy person a businessman and said you know serve these people because then when you serve them and they come to know me then just think of how many more people they'll impact well with a child that there's not there's no expectation of of long and broad impact it's just this child because this child doesn't have any influence or impact on, you know, in the, in the world's eyes. So, yeah. Yeah. I think child children uh, at that point of view, they were absolutely vulnerable and insignificant. Mm -hmm. So, um, now in our cultures, children are protected, mm -hmm. but in that society, was absolutely different context. Yeah. So this text challenged me to serve and to take care for the, the least significant, those who cannot help themselves. This is God's criteria for spiritual mm -hmm. ministry. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's very challenging. Yeah. So what would be one, one takeaway that you would want um, for yourself, as you wrestle with this passage, what's what's a takeaway? How do how do you live in light of this truth? Well, I will take two lessons. First lessons, it's it is about my picture of God. Mm -hmm. Do I have biblical picture of God and His intention in the world? Do I want to serve God or I expect that God will serve me? 
And second, in my ministry, I am uh, concerned to serve where it is like cool to serve, where I will get some benefits from that, or I am driven to serve where the needs is the most. So uh, this is what I take from this story. Yeah. I think I'm in a similar boat. I think the the warning to be to be on guard from shaping Christ into the image that I would like him to fit into, the temptation to make him into something that that best suits me rather than having my understanding of him and myself shaped by him and his word. I think that's a big, big warning today. And then I would, uh, like you said, I think the, the recognizing just the, the upside downness of his economy, the way that serving uh, and the way that caring for people the way that I is a human, you know, determined to spend myself for other people. Uh, I think I need to really kind of take a sobered look at who I serve and how I serve them. Am I doing it because a it's going to benefit me, or am I doing it because it's going to have the most perceived impact, which is still about me because I want to be important. I want to have good, uh, you know, a lot of impact. Um, and so it's just a real good gut check today as I look at this passage. But Dr. Yvonne, it has been an absolute uh, privilege to have you. Uh, we will do this again because you are heavily requested by uh, those that engage with the Take and Read podcast, they're they're going to be happy to know that you are well, uh, that you and your wife are well and safe, and are faithfully serving where the Lord has placed you for such a time as this. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For all of those out there for tuning in to the Take and Read podcast, again, if you have questions for me, uh, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with Yvonne, um, I will make sure that his email address is available uh, in the link uh, or in the, the description of the podcast so you guys can email him directly and be in touch with him and, and learn of ways you can support him as he continues to faithfully minister to the least of these in uh, Kiev and throughout Ukraine. Uh, I would encourage you guys to continue to pray, uh, continue to pray, even though it may not show up on news media and it may not be uh, front page uh, in our minds and on our eyes. We know that it's still going on. It's still very real. And so continue to pray uh, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And uh, yeah, I thank you guys for your support. And I want to encourage you now to go take and read the word of God. Blessings. Blessings.